You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Wednesday, the 27th of May 2020. Thank you all for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be doing with what I was hoping to do last night, which was talking about Francis Chan. We've done a number of programs before on Francis Chan. And the whole point of covering this is more what we can learn, perhaps, of what not to do. And I don't want to be... I don't want to turn into some kind of a program where we get our jollies. This is incredibly sad. Um, But I do think the warning signs were there for many, many years with Francis Chan and with his style of ministry in general. But we'll get into that a little bit later on. We won't be able to go through what we normally do on a program, which is read through the entire psalm, because um, the next psalm we're going to be looking at in our series on the Psalter, which we do at the beginning of each program, is on Psalm 18. Now, appreciate everybody's uh, patience <laughs> um, with me because, uh, yes, I was just ill and was a bit ill kind of Monday as well. Um, Tuesdays and Fridays seem to work better. Uh, and I just kind of woke up 6 a.m. in the morning with a massive headache. One of those kind of things and just kind of sleep it off. Not migraines or anything, but um, so appreciate your prayers. And um, also, I haven't said anything to anybody in social media. So if you are on Facebook or Twitter or something like that and you want to shoot somebody a message that this program is going on now, that would be great. But um, other than that, thank you so much for your patience, those who are here. And um, we're going to look through Psalm 18 right now. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing because Psalm 18 is about 50 verses, and perhaps it would have been a good thing to spend the whole program on. Um, But what we're going to do is we're going to read some of the psalm and comment on some of it and see what kind of encouragement we can take in these days of COVID-19 and um, all the other things that we're we're doing. Uh, Like What I'm really trying to get is I I really want... uh, through this, to encourage you to to sing the Psalter. Sing the Psalter. Regardless of what your views are, maybe on music and all that kind of thing at this moment in time, there's one un- unmistakable thing. The, the apostles, the saints prior to the time of Christ, the church for the first couple hundred years, the Bible clearly commands that we sing the Psalms. But do you think that's exclusively and etc. and so on? I believe it is. I believe it should be sung a cappella. But before we get on to all that, it's been commanded. And it's wonderfully beneficial and enriching because it's the Word of God. You find yourself struggling. Get this book out. You're by yourself. Sing. Get a tune. Go on to, there's a couple of, um, I think the psalmsung.org is one website. Just Google the psalms being sung, 1650 Psalter, Scottish Metrical Psalter, or there's other Psalters as well. And sing the psalms, which deal with all the 
the agony and the 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 joy, the peace, the trials, the persecution that comes with the Christian life. And and sing through, and I would encourage you to sing through it all. I think one of the, one of the reasons I'm going through it, mostly to encourage you, but also the fact that we're kind of ignorant, I think, largely, of the Christocentric nature of the Psalms. And we struggle to see Christ in the Psalms. Now, all that said, <laughs> you know, this program's supposed to be about Francis Chan, so I'm not going to try and... I'm going to try and keep this segment on the Psalms to about 15 minutes. But um, if you've got questions and I haven't covered something well enough in a program and you'd like me to flesh it out more, perhaps in a whole hour long episode or whatever, feel free to shoot me an email at mcgittlefilms at gmail.com. Well, well, anyway, Psalm 18. And before we do, we're going to lead with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, for all those listening. We pray for your blessing upon each and every one of them. And we pray that you would strengthen and encourage us in these times of um, pandemic. And we pray, Lord, for your hedge of protection around us all. And for those who will listen later, bless us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read now Psalm 18. And we're not again, we're not going to read all of it for obvious reasons. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. And then I'm going to skip ahead to the verses 13 to 19, um, and we'll just make some general comments on these verses. Psalm 18, verses 1 to 3, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my redeemer, and my deliverer, sorry. O my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation my strong hold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then from verses 13, we're going to read down to verse 19. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstone and coals of fire. He sent his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the, the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, for those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They com- they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And then we're going to read verses 28 down to verse 36. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For you I will run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. For as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is given. It is God 
who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. And then we're going to read from the last few verses of this wonderful psalm, verses 46 to 50. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. He also, you also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king. He show and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Amen. Amen. So, greetings everyone who's just joined us. Um, <laughs> um, if I started, somebody's suggesting I sing. Um, I, I like singing in groups. I think if, um, if I started singing, everybody would run away and uh, never want to hear that. <laughs> but look, it, it, all joking aside, all joking aside, even if you are by yourself, and even if you don't, have a note in your head. It doesn't matter. Sing your heart out to the Lord. And again, how to sing these things, again, you can go online. Um, I should have probably found something there, actually. You know, well, see what I can dig up there. So in... For those of you who have never seen a metrical psalter before, it's different from a prose version because it's lined up in such a way to be sung. And the wonderful thing about the 1650 Scottish metrical psalter, you don't have to go with that, but wonderful thing about it is it is pretty easy. And if you've got a limited ability for tunes, there's different tunes, there's there's mainly common meter in this in the Psalter. And for example, those last few verses, therefore to thee will I give thanks, the heathen folk among. To thy name, O Lord, I will sing praises in a song. He great deliverance gives his king. He mercy doth extend to David his anointed one and his seed without end. So it's put in such a way that it, that you can take a tune. And usually what the tunes are, uh, I'll give you an example, the tune to Amazing Grace is Amazing Grace House. You know, so you think of that tune. And again, my musical ability is fairly limited. I always get my wife to, to pick up the tunes when we're doing family worship. But if you... Psalm 3, for example, place that tune to Psalm 3 and 
originally obviously penned by David, dealing with Absalom and the rebellion against him, but singing about those struggles. God's own words. Say, but, but I don't believe. This is God's word. And when we see this, you see, the wonderful thing about the Psalms, they're so, they're so balanced to the Christian experience, to the Christian life. Now, ultimately, centrally, they're speaking of Christ. They're t- speaking about Christ's struggle on this earth. He took upon himself the form of a servant and suffered in our place. But let us look at Psalm 18 specifically now, which deals with deliverance. And we can feel like everything's against us. But we have to take comfort in this one thing. It says in verse 19 of Psalm 18, And he has brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And we've brought up this a number of times in the program. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you trust in him for salvation, do you know that he delights in you because of Christ? It makes such a difference to your Christian walk. If you see that truly more and more, not in a kind of an egocentrical, anti-fantastic, but because of Christ, he delights in us. The Lord lives, verse 46. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. We we deal with all these struggles, all these pains, and this is the wonderful thing about the Psalms. We deal with all this, and at the same time, at the end of it, praise his holy name. Verse 50 again. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed course the anointing specifically with oil in the old testament referring to the kings etc but also refers to his people and if we take mashiach in in hebrew translated in becoming christos that's literally what christ means the anointed one because we're in christ shows that he will show mercy to us. Now, Christ never sinned. So no mercy had to be shown to him, but mercy is shown to you, dear Christian. He delights in you because you're in, in him, to David and his descendants. And who's David? A type of Christ. Who is his descendants? Who are his children? Who are those who are no longer in Adam, but are now in Christ? If you've repented of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, that is you. You are his descendants. And we know that it's not just talking about simply just David and history. Of course, there is the Davidic covenant. But forevermore. When does this thing end? Never. There's so much in the Old Testament, of course, deals with the this historic situation that they're in at the time, but even more importantly, points towards a heavenly reality. They take the land in Canaan, it points towards a heavenly Canaan 
heaven itself, our inheritance in Christ Jesus. So hopefully that's been a blessing to you. Again, I would encourage you, imagine singing through that. Singing through not just I'm happy all the time. Man-made hymns can be often very discouraging because you, you know, you you see these hymns, even the older ones, and it just talks about, oh, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, and then you kind of go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not happy all the time. I have struggles. I have difficulties. I I sometimes weep of my sin. I despair when I look at myself. And then when you're singing about, what's wrong with me? When you go into the Psalms, it's like, oh, look at all the look at all the pain and the suffering that David and and the other Psalm writers go through, and and all ultimately the the pain and the suffering Christ Himself goes through. And at the end of that, in spite of all that, at the end of this, we say, "The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted." Facing reality is far more encouraging than pretending. Sometimes we will, in our Christian walk, sometimes we will hit the lowest points ever. Because we care more. We care more when we see somebody fall into sin. It breaks our heart more than it ever did beforehand, before we were in the world. But we also have the greatest joys. I think sometimes we can present the Christian life as if, you know what, those pits of despair that we faced prior to Christ, we're never going to face them anyway. That's not true, but they're different. They're not despair in terms of, or sadness in terms of without hope. We still have hope, but we do face pits and valleys and, and all these things. And the wonderful thing about the Psalms is they don't just leave you there. They acknowledge they're there. They take you through there. And they show you how to come out. And we need that. You need that. I need that. We all need that at times like this. We need the Psalms. We need to sing the Psalms. And I think it's one of the reasons for the weakness in the church today. We don't sing the Psalms. I'm not just saying because our denomination sings the Psalms that we have, we tick every single box and we're wonderful. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's one of the reasons for the weakness in the church. Okay, so um, let's get on to the main part of our program. Hopefully that has been a blessing to you. And again, um, next program I'm going to dig up some some tunes and play it for you. And uh, so you get a more of an idea what it is to sing the Psalms. And uh, again, if you've got any questions, we get a films at gmail.com fire away. Um, asking in the chat room <laughs> and uh, somebody in the chat room is like, yep, you already answered my question. Um, sometimes I don't realize I'm doing that. Um, so, Oh yeah. The question here, I began, uh, I be, was it? I believe the metrical saw are designed to be sung with almost any tune hymn. Yeah, they can be. They can be common meter, not any tune hymn, but a lot of hymns are sung in what's called common meter. 
There's things called short meter, long meter. Um, there's different, like, 8, 11, 8, 11. Common meter is the easiest one to take a tune and, and stick it on there. Again, I'm probably the worst person to ask on this. There, we're blessed in our denomination. There's, there's people who are tremendous singers, and um, they know there's, you know, I don't want to put people off by this. You don't have to have a musical education at all. You just have to be able to hold a tune or have some kind of idea and practice a little bit. And look, as long as, you're, as, long as your heart is rejoicing before the Lord, you, you might sing and you might sound horrible, audibly, but it's far better than the person who's got an amazing voice that doesn't care and is singing the same thing. A lot of people will maybe even sing Psalm 23, for example. How many times is that read without any feeling or any care during a funeral service or whatever? So the important thing is our hearts before the Lord. Of course, we try to sing as well as we possibly can within our capabilities, but the main point is offering before the Lord. Um, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Somebody said they're, they feel blessed by the psalm reading. Yeah, I've gotten a few messages like that, and hopefully it's been a blessing. Um, it's in unusual times. It's hard. Some people are by themselves. Um, I'm blessed. I have my, my wife and two children, uh, my dog and my cat um, at the backyard. I, I'm, I'm pretty content. I miss my church. I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. We're, we're doing a drive-in service next Sunday for the first time. I've never done a drive-in service before. I'm actually preaching on Sunday but in, in Loch Brickland. But um, if anybody's in Northern Ireland, and is near Loch Brickland in, are we in County Down? Yeah, it's in County Down. Um, it's a little village. It's my church. Um, I've never done drive-in before. It's completely new territory for me, but it seems like people have, are doing a, a wonderful job in difficult circumstances, getting things organized into different churches. So, um, yeah, uh, pray for that, brethren. And it, it, it's a tough time, and we got to do whatever we can do to try and encourage each other. And look, if you've got any suggestions, films at gmail.com. If, if there's anything else, um, that could be done. Okay, so we're going to be looking at, finally, we're getting to it, Francis Chen and his Zoom call, I suppose, kind of conference. He had fairly recently middle of what was it, 14th of May, this was live streamed, the unveiling it's called, and um, I saw people talking about this on Twitter, and um, this is kind of, I became, uh, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I became interested in Bethel years ago when Nabil Qureshi, I think that's when it was. Nabil Qureshi works for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. He's now with the Lord. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he got kind of got sucked into Bethel and promoting Bethel prior to his passing away. It was really sad. He was really young. He's like in his 30s or something like that. He had a wife and one, one child. Um, really heartbreaking. And, and I think just through Nabil's desperation at the end, he went into... More and more strange theology believed that Christians were able to raise the dead and teachings like that. I've done programs on that. Um, years ago, I responded to some of Nabil's claims. And um, 
I was concerned how big of an influence that Bill Johnson and the New Apostolic Reformation was having. We, we remember the Todd Bentley stuff. Todd Bentley's kind of been more or less been shown to be, you know, a snake oil salesman and all that kind of thing. But Todd Bentley, for those of you not aware, remember the guy who used to kick people in the heads and saying that it was the Holy Spirit. Oddly enough, this is a part of the charismatic movement. It is a part of the charismatic movement. Sid Roth talked about something similar. He talked about Smith Wigglesworth throwing a baby and getting healed. Bizarre. And he spoke about it positively. I have it on YouTube if you want to look it up. Um, hitting people and it being some way of driving the demons out of them. <sighs> you know, I... Yeah. Um... Utterly bizarre. You'd have to probably see one of those old programs to, um, Justin Peters was actually on the program and we talked about that. And, um, the, what happens when people start properly acting as us? So I got really concerned about this a number of years ago and I've been talking about Bethel and I've, I've read a number of Bill Johnson's books and we're probably, I try to go with that. And, um, but also coinciding with that has been the rapid, decline and demise, at least publicly, of uh, Francis Chan. Now, Francis Chan was respected in a fair number of circles, is still um, respected in some. I'm not just somebody who... Ha I've read this book, uh, Letters to the Church, which I was deeply concerned about because it was so wishy-washy. It was a bit like... To summarize it, it's all like, let's all get together. The church is so messed up. What's wrong, he's not going to say. Um, so anybody who has a gripe with the church can just insert into blank. And uh, he's obviously concerned about unity and things like that. So, but I've, I've critiqued this book before and I could see this direction. And I it's been going for a while. He's been, to want a better term, he's been soft on Roman Catholicism. He's embraced Roman Catholicism. He's embraced Roman Catholics. This is... Francis Chan, I'm talking about now, as his brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, he speaks very favorably about them. This started a number of years ago. Again, this is nothing new. This is just... Francis has been squishy for years. And that's what I'm trying to warn you against. This kind of kumbaya, let's all get together and have a jolly good time, and as long as you're nice, and as long as you you speak flattering words, be very careful. We're going to play this clip now in a second with Bill Johnson. Um, we're going to focus just on Bill Johnson and Francis Chan. There's other people in the conversation, but we're just going to focus on those two people during this um, IHOP Zoom call, I suppose you could call it, unveiling. But I just want to warn you about this kind of, this was, you could, for want of a better term, kumbaya, let's all get together. It doesn't matter. As long as you're a nice person, you've got to, especially for ministers, you've got to see, you really need to see the importance of understanding what is wrong with the charismatic movement. Don't think, for, and Roman Catholicism, by the way, don't think that you can't go to the same direction that Francis Chan is going. And that you're going to go and lead a ton of people down into their deceptions and lies and false gospels. 
that's what I'm concerned about, and that's why I'm covering this today. Let's flick over to the screen, and we're going to play this. This is Bill Johnson. He looks... I. It's probably explained at the start of the video. Watch the start of the video, but he, for some reason, he's in... He's kind of fairly dark. It seems to have been a power cut wherever he was, but we'll continue. Oh, this is not playing. Oh, that's the reason. Uh, to be seen, the beauty of his church, and uh, and you all contribute so richly. I'm so moved by the the courage of Francis. I I've just been really rocked by by your life, and and uh, I'm so I'm so thankful for your living, broad, uh, a bold proclamation of who Jesus is. I am just so thrilled with you. Mike, you, uh, I've, I've told our students, they'll ask me, what do you think of Mike Bickle? I say he's one of the... Just to give you a bit of context, what Bill is talking, he's, he spent a couple of minutes talking about and um, sounded like he was crying and being very emotional about, um, well, stuff and people are speaking all bad things against us and all this kind of thing. Um, the sincerity or insincerity, I don't know. And it's kind of, I can't get inside people's hearts. I, I Let's just say I'm very cynical about all this kind of stuff. It, it, it seems to be a, a thing that modern day charismatic charlatans are doing. They just, you know, for whatever reason, they're able to turn on the waterworks at a moment's notice. Because I, I think the old style of Kenneth Copeland, the, the brashness, the suits and all this kind of stuff, it's not quite washing anymore. So there's a kind of a new breed. Anyway, he goes through all this. He talks about how, you know, his father never really said a bad word about anybody. Um, he loves everybody. Everything's wonderful. And now he's starting to wax lyrically about Francis Chan. Be very careful about anybody who will come up to you and flatter you. I'm not saying that they're an enemy or anything like that, but be very careful, especially your ministry. Be very careful of flattery. One of the most dangerous things in anybody's ministry is flattery, not opposition. Oh, you got opposition, it'll drive you to your knees. Hopefully, I mean, some people it's, it crushes. But generally speaking, flattery is one of the most dangerous things out there. And be very wary. And what I would say, there's a healthy amount of encouraging, you know, say, brother, you know, somebody preached a good message. At the end of it, I, I tried to, you know, I'll say to somebody, if I went to visit a church or whatever, thank you for that message. It really blessed me. And leave it at that. I don't want to be, you're the greatest preacher ever to, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, you know. Um, put it in proportion. It's good to encourage, but when you start praising, these are the greatest things since sliced bread, get nervous. I'm saying, don't you do it either. And I'm not saying don't encourage people, but they're just, we're, we're an hour and five minutes into this clip. And that's kind of what they spend the first, I don't know, what was it? 40, 45, 50 minutes doing talking about how wonderful each other was. So that's a, just a bit of context. Most important people alive. Uh, anybody who gives their life to prayer are my absolute all-time heroes. 
and uh, I'm I'm so thankful uh, for you. I really am. Asher, I just have gotten to know you a little bit through this uh, this Zoom call, but I'm so appreciative of your voice and uh, what you carry uh, for the body of Christ. David, you've been a friend for a number of years. I'm thankful for you and the the charge that you lead in bringing healing, reconciliation, unity. Uh, you're a great, great voice and a great friend. I appreciate you. Tabitha, you have a wonderful... And again, I'm not saying you can never encourage somebody. I'm not saying never do it. I, I think there's two extremes of never doing it and just being... You want to be the person who tears somebody down all the time? That's not good either. But if you're all about flattery and it's dangerous and we need it in proper proportion and uh, it's ego building. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness and for shining in the love of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Thank you. Can I just uh, say something in response to that? Um, uh, Bill, I, <laughs> you blow me away with your words uh, and your heart behind them. You need to know that it's that heart that, that changed me. It's it's that type of character and kindness that can only come from the spirit to love like that in the midst of slander. What um, I mean, it's, I was one of those guys uh, coming out of seminary. I was one of those guys. I've told Mike Bickle, I studied you in seminary. <laughs> you know, I first. Could somebody confirmed to me i'm not exactly sure uh who is he referring to the master seminary did he train there um this is not to say that that means anything there's lots of people who've gone to brilliant seminaries and have gone horribly wrong this has nothing to do with the seminaries i'm just kind of curious where he's referring to um yeah you can go to a great seminary it doesn't mean you won't go in the wrong direction I met him. I was, I said yes to going to one thing, but I, there was a fear in me. And, you know, Mike, you remember, I, maybe I, I remember just sitting him down and I just had all these questions for him because the moment I said yes to speaking there, there was just a barrage of criticism and people so angry that I would even consider and and so i'm like whoa you know and then i remember the things that i studied and and even one of my staff people his mom came to our office in tears saying please say it isn't so you know and but you you need to understand i came from this world where i i just blatantly when mike when you said that um Bill had never, from his staff's mouth, they've never heard him speak negatively uh, about another minister, pastor, believer. Uh, that could not be said of me. I used to ridicule anyone who spoke in tongues, anyone who thought he had a gift of prophecy. I really did. And the thing about it is, 
And this is one. Now, I don't like the approach, can I be honest, of certain people who will take a clip of a charismatic whatever and it's dangerous heresy and whatever else or couldn't be blasphemous and then it's just a laughing session and people are getting their jollies out of it. I don't like that, okay? Um, we got to be very careful about that. We got to be very careful that we get across to people, we love you and we care. We want to get you out of that error. Um, I love that if you want to talk about just a very loving attitude, like somebody like Costi Hin who came out of that whole movement and he's burdened. You can obviously see he's burdened for it. And I, I like how he's so um, thoughtful and care. Cause I, I just think sometimes we think, how can someone get caught up in that stuff? And I'm, I'm sorry, but it, it the meme culture and all this kind of, what does it achieve yeah it's red meat to your base but how is that going to help you know if somebody's a bill johnson fan you're just mocking him it just makes you sound like it makes you look like just a nasty individual i guess your jollies out of it i, I don't get my jollies out of it and i don't want to be mocking and teasing somebody the guy's a dangerous teacher I'm concerned deeply about his teaching. I'm concerned deeply about Francis Chan's direction, um, about some of the things he's now teaching. We've dealt with that before in the program, the things he's now embracing. But I don't want to ridicule him. I don't want to get my jollies out of it. So I, I, th I just think it's pure wrong to do that. Um... I know people might think of Elijah and all this kind of stuff about, you know, he used, was it satire, I suppose you'd say, or whatever. Yeah, there's certain times an, ar an argument is so ridiculous. You'll point out the ridiculousness of the argument. Um, but you still have a certain amount of respect for the person, and I just think that's not too much to ask. I just think there's just too much laughing at people. Not all people do this. There's a lot of people. By the way, there are people who are very caring and write very good blogs. Again, this isn't everybody. It's usually, actually, usually bloggers are probably better than people like me who do videos and things like that. So I just think um, sometimes, sometimes the things that they say, there can be a germ of truth and we don't want to go to the opposite extreme. I'm so glad you have such a heart toward these people. I really thought I was doing it for God. Some, you, you don't know what you don't know. And in my mind, I, I mean, when someone would say a phrase like uh, this charismatic theologian, I just thought that's an oxymoron. There's no charismatic theologians. They don't even study the word. They, they just dream and have visions. I mean, that's really what I believe. So I thought I will protect the church from these people who are getting away from the word of God and just chasing their fantasies. And I've got to save the church from them. So I don't. I wonder about this. I've never seen any evidence of him being against anybody of anything. 
Nothing. For years. Going back a long way. If anybody's got a clip of him going after somebody in the charismatic movement, I, I've never ever seen a situation where he's gone after anybody. I actually think Francis Chan has always been like this. This has been my problem with him. Francis Chan is shtick is, sh- is you know, like oh man isn't isn't the, the church is so bad man and it's oh uh, isn't it terrible and everybody's like yeah yeah it is terrible yeah what's wrong with it you know we just we're, we're fighting with each other yo we don't like fighting oh no no nobody likes fighting so oh you gotta get to, oh yeah unity's good thing yeah but he's never specific. He's never specific. I've never seen him once. And if he... Now, you might say he's being specific here. Oh, yeah. Anybody speaks against Mike Bickle or Bill Johnson. He's, oh, he's very specific and very condemnatory there. Oh, just don't, don't criticize them. Touch that Lord's anointed. But... And that's why he's popular. Because he'll say... He'll complain about the church... Everybody's got some complaint about the church. They will bring their own thing and insert it into what he's saying, and then it's nice and squishy. If you're going to complain about something, you know, for example, worship. Let's have some positive things that can be done. And just for, yeah, again, for example, the Psalms in worship. Let's have positive teaching of what the Word of God says rather than just whinging and moaning about everything. There's a danger of doing that the whole time. Because what happens is after a while, you just get so much discontent and, and then you're not certain about anything. So let's just all be friends. Oh, by me embracing this guy, I'm going to be... People are annoyed over here. People are actually very clear on what the problems are with people like Bill Johnson. Again, I've read his books, or not all of them, but a number of them, God is Good, I have in front of me here. And also that New Age Monstrosity, basically published by all the people connected with Bethel, forward by Chris Voliton, who's one of the minister, or one of the pastors there, The Physics of Heaven, which is pure New Age drivel. I don't, and you know, another thing he'll say is, oh yeah, if we just, you know, we're in a desert island and we had the Bible, would we, would we be doing the things that all that's around us? Oh, for crying out loud. You get a young Christian who reads the Bible for the first time. They think they know everything. Yeah. Okay. Great. But they need instruction. They don't need a desert island. So that's, I have always had a massive problem with Francis Chan's rants. I'm not just trying to go, hey, here's all that's wrong with the church. And what do we do? I will point you towards Westminster standards. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's the best we have. Of course, the word of God. But you just can't be like, hmm, let's drop you on a desert island and we'll figure it out by ourselves. We believe in sola scriptura, not solo scriptura. We believe by scripture alone. We don't believe it's just me and my Bible. That's not scripture alone. That's your own cult. 
The Bible says to go to church and fellowship and be subject to elders, to be subject to state rulers. Romans 13, start uh, the beginning in the, was it the end of Titus chapter 2, start of Titus chapter 3, etc. So it's not just you in an isolation. I'm just going to serve Jesus and serve nothing else. There's no, in the situation, there's no subordinate authority. And ever since I've known about him and he's ran away, I think he went off to China or something like that, was it, for a couple of years? There's just this kind of millennial abandonment of everything's not perfect. Everything's, oh, and then, and you just get unified with a bunch of people who've got the same kind of zeal as you. Not doctrinally, but you just, hey, you've got the same energy. You seem to really love people. That's all that really matters. So let's get together. Rather than being unified around doctrine. And if you're doing what I'm giving you about here, you're going to go in a Francis Chan direction. And those people all over the place in danger of this. One of the reasons I'm doing this program, right? Because I think there's lots of people who are in danger of unifying around, oh, I think this is a nice guy. Okay, he doesn't believe the same thing as me, but no, it depends what that is. But if we're going to be reformed, we need to be reformed. We need to support reformed churches. And if we don't think it matters, should you be in ministry? I'm talking about ministers now. I'm talking about ruling elders. I digress. I was evil. I... I, 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 I know I was arrogant, like off the charts arrogant, but there was almost this side of me that felt like, God, I'm doing this for you. And what changed me? Well, this is basically saying anybody's critical of the charismatic movement, including the men involved in a Zoom call, including Mike Bickle, Bill Johnson, and there's a couple other people, are arrogant. This whole thing that you can say nothing negative about anybody is complete nonsense. You must be, if you're going to be a faithful shepherd, I'm talking to the ministers here, if anybody's a minister here, or somebody who loves the flock, you're going to hate and warn about wolves. And I don't mean in terms of, how do I put it? As in, you don't take pleasure in wolves. Yeah, we're to love our enemies. Sure, but that's a different type. That's what I'm talking about here. We are to warn about wolves. And if you have sheep and you see wolves around, you can't just kind of go, I care so much about the sheep. I'm going to go talk to this wolf. and Maybe even leave the gate open for a while. You're going to embrace one and reject the other. You can't have both feet, you know, one foot in the heretic world. and They teach different things. Was I was on this board uh, with this guy named Jack Hayford and... Um, which I was nervous about and didn't was uncomfortable being on there, but it was for the poor. So as I got to know him and I got to see his character, I thought, oh my gosh, the love 
he had for people who were attacking him. That's what changed me. I apologized to him. And from that point on, it was like this openness. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on Jack Hayford or anything like that. I know all the people have I've got the concerns with him as well. By what? Okay. Um, if you say, oh, he's such a nice guy. That's not an argument. They're so lovely. It doesn't, if you're kind of guy, right, who kind of meets people and go, they're so nice. And then you find out something horrible about him. What if he, like, one of his books, he teaches heresy or something like that. Again, I don't know about Jack Hefford. I'm not commenting on him here. But you don't have any discernment at that point. Now, if somebody, if you go and talk to them and they kind of go, mm, okay, that's a bit different to what I'm hearing. Hmm, I'll take that on board. Go read his book. Go double check it. It can't just be, oh, he's such a nice person. Therefore, why is why is Francis Chan so popular? Because he's naive. I know some people will probably even question that. Is he naive? Is he? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt of being deliriously naive. You say, well, well he's not. That's, I'm not. Well, if he's not naive, then he's intentionally leading people in the wrong direction and uh, he knows all about this and it's a performance. So I hope it's naivety and I hope it's something to come out of. Sincerely. Even if he can't, even if he did come out of it, he's just demonstrated he is not qualified. At best, he's not qualified for Christian ministry. He's not. Once you get into this level of naivety, you, you really just got to step down, step away. When you have no clue about ecclesiology, like you've, like he's demonstrated in letters to the church. And you're basically just trying to go from scratch and you're, you just, and what your real teachings are really behind a paywall. Um, oh, man, when he, when Jack started teaching the word of God, that's when it was so humbling. He was using the Hebrew. I mean, I just thought, okay, here we go. What vision did you have today? He got into the word Greek, Hebrew, in a way that was so humbling. And that mixed with his character and love and compassion, it, it really changed this arrogant, uh, I need to fight against all these people. And so... When I hear your heart, Bill, man, I sure... I don't get this whole thing. He got into Greek and Hebrew. I think Greek and Hebrew are fantastically important. The ministers should be far more equipped than we are today, including myself. Um, I'm not a minister yet, Lord willing. I'm, I'm in training. Um, but loads and loads of heretics quote Greek and Hebrew all the time. 
actually, to be honest, you pick your aberrant weird theory. It's usually, well, that's not what the Greek meant. And, you know, and they'll go and they'll people within the charismatic movement have got some, you know, some have some bizarre theory about, you know, some code in the Hebrew text and all this kind of stuff. Look, Just because somebody quotes or can read a bit of Hebrew doesn't mean they really understand it. Hebrew is the one that people get away with the most, by the way. I'm just, just because somebody quotes Hebrew does not mean they actually understand what the text says. What you need to do is maybe get a, you know, conservative, reliable commentary that's, you know, where you know that the person is fairly well, is good in that area, and, and go with, you know, go with that. But we're always, Because the knowledge of Hebrew is far less than it is of Greek these days, people can get away with a lot more. So just be kind of, uh, just, so what? I've always said this. Yeah, the, the charismatic movement uses the Bible in a kind of a launch pad. They, they, they use the Bible in order to, to, to justify their aberrant beliefs. But so does the New Age movement. I remember years ago when I did a lot of research in the New Age movement and all this kind of stuff, and there was companies like, I don't do this research anymore because I think it's a bit of a dead end, but for me, at least, it's a bit of a waste of time. Um, but, you know, Alison Bailey, the she was kind of one of the, the followers on after from, oh, what was her name? Founder of Theosophy. Oh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. She was one of the kind of followers on from that. And one of her books, she quoted scripture a bunch of times. And even mentioned what really the Hebrew should have meant here and all this. Don't get don't get sucked into that. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a reason there's a saying, a little Greek is a dangerous thing. Because I tell you, the more Greek I understand the less I use it. What do I mean by that? Unless I use it for illustrations because I realize how many fallacies are out there. Even in good, good commentaries at times, there's a lot of connecting dots that really shouldn't be connected. And the reason they're not connected is because grammar rules are being broken and ignored and everything else like that. So don't get into all this, oh, he used Greek and Hebrew. Hope there are people listening that maybe come from the camp I came from. And I will tell you this when I went to meet with Bill, I, I'm not Bill, uh, I get all your charismatics mixed up. Um, I got to meet with you, Mike, and question you on all of these things that were written about you, and you just vary calmly, lovingly, just showed me how they weren't true. And I'm like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you defend yourself? And you're just like, the spirit told me not to. God told me not to. I'm not going to disobey him. And talk. Let me summarize that argument now for a second here. 
the reason why this is I'm t- this is Mike Bickle. I don't want to spend too much time on Mike Bickle, a bit more on Bill Johnson. The reason why Mike Bickle won't defend himself is because God told him so. And apparently he's, his explanation is brilliant, uh, according to Francis Chan. And it all boils down to God told me so. How do you verify that? You can't... Um, to your staff and and then when i found out how much you studied the word of god um and now you're telling me that asher is a teacher to you i'm going oh gosh i'm sitting here just so humbled so embarrassed when i found out because there are a lot of people from the camp that i come from and we really, I, I do see a lot of people who love, love, love the Lord. And, but I just never thought through, like, why am I so sure that I'm right? Um, even now, even before we got on the call today, I said. The only thing is he's never actually, he never gives one single, one single example. Oh, that I'm right. Right about what? Right about what? How do I know I'm right about, well, you know, could you put in there the existence of God? Well, you know from creation. The Bible is true. About what? About the fact that Jesus was always, is always, and will always be God Almighty, something that Bill Johnson does not believe. Nor does Todd White believe if he's kind of befriended at some stage in the past as well. You got some serious issues, or or the fact that Bill Johnson believes. I'm just focusing on Bill because I know more about Bill Johnson. That, and it's probably very similar to Mike Bickle as well. They're part of the same movement, more or less, the New Apostolic Reformation. The that if if there's something bad happens, it's really the devil in control of that. It's demons or something like that. And God's not in control of that. Oh, but, but you don't realize he had a private conversation with him. With these guys. And they're so nice. Yeah, but in his book, Bill Johnson's book, God is Good, he teaches rabbit heresy after rabbit heresy. I did a book, a couple of programs on it, on just that one book. And I've got a bunch of other books I haven't gone through yet. Plan to do at some stage, probably. Um, teaches New Age heresy. That that church, Chris Volatin, one of the, the, the pastors at Bethel, the same church that Bill Johnson is at, teaches sinless perfection, that it's possible to live sinlessly, Todd White is another part of that whole New Apostolic Reformation, not the same church, but New Apostolic Reformation believes he does not sin. Well, I suppose it fits in with this conversation. It was like, he never does this. He never does that. He never... Well, it's um, a lot of of the exaltation of man. Be very, very careful of the flattering lips of ministers who will just swoop in and kind of go, Hey guys, 
you guys, you're, you're so amazing. You're fantastic. <gasps> Where have you been all my life? You know what? Good friends are the people who will be there when you need them. And you just find the popular gang, the fads that come and go in the church. They're usually guys with flattering lips. They build everybody up. And eventually, do you know what happens? It all comes crumbling down. A scandal. Something happens. And it all falls apart. Pride. Pride. Usually. God, please help me. Because sometimes when I'm with a group of people, there's this feeling of superiority. Like I need to go and fix their theology. Even when I went to one thing. Now, okay, you can, you can take this. There's some horrible, nasty people who feel like they're going to knock clock people over the head and they're going to tell everybody how it's done. Okay, and they split churches, and that's not a good example. But if you're a minister, you're to shepherd the sheep, and yes, you are to correct their theology. It drives me crazy. Francis Chan gets up there and, you know, you know, he speaks down and denigrates the preach of the word so much. So, oh, you, you don't want to be here listening to me talk. We're just, you know, man, we're just experiencing, we'll just experience each other. He's like, we need men in the pulpit who are serious. Not community leaders, not these kind of, let's all just get together. And, and that can help that there's a certain side of that. Yes, we should have a little bit of that. But we've got to be serious men of the word of God. Who think highly of the preached word of God, the proclaimed word of God. Chan, for years, has been talking down the preached word of God. Do you know what the sad thing is? So have a lot of other ministers, too. This happens so often. And um, let's be honest. We, in the modern church, there's not a very high opinion of things like street preaching. Why? I don't like the guys who shout down people either. Okay? We agree. Okay, though, you know, those kind of, you always see those videos of people who are being obnoxious. But sadly, you don't see the people who are lovingly preaching the gospel on the streets calling upon people to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. It must be done the right way, as it must be done in the pulpit. But we've got such a low view of the preached word of God, and it's one of the, it's one of the many things. This mindless zeal, Janet, everything, you know, it's this kind of, he is symptomatic of much of what this is wrong with this generation and a lot of people in the church. Oh, there's so much wrong with the church. What do we do? I don't know, man, but just. He's been talking. Like, let's be 
let's be clear here. He's been talking like this for years. He has just brought in a bunch of heretics, which makes everybody go, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, yeah, you, you, I don't like what you're saying anymore. He's been saying the same thing. He said the same thing five years ago, 10 years ago. But just now, the people he's defending are heretics. I'm not aware of any major stand and any major theological thing that he's ever taken a stand on. The most things he takes a stand on, he took a stand on, you could say maybe a couple of months ago, what his view of the, the Lord's table being basically like Rome for the first 1,500 years of the church, which is a, an ahistorical, a non-historical, unhistorical, whatever the word you might want to use. Um, correct my grammar if somebody wants to do it in chat room. Um, view. And you, you, you find with people who are squishy when it comes to, if you're Reformed, what the Westminster Standards or the Belgian Confession, if you're of a more continental. But what happens after a while, you don't really believe that stuff. What do you end up doing? You end up defending all the people who don't like that stuff either. And you kind of... You don't seem to like the Westminster so much, and you seem to have a massive problem with it. <sighs> I don't understand. Maybe I'm naive. I don't understand why people go into reformed pulpits who don't hold or are, are massive doubts about their creed or confession. They either don't hold to it or they cherry pick. I don't get it. If you don't hold to it, I'm even thinking like, there are so many independent churches out there who you could go to, but people do it. They... I don't know, maybe, maybe it's tradition, maybe their family's in it. I don't know. But don't lie to people. And don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Don't lie to God. When people waffle on about, well, how do I know that I'm right? Isn't that kind of arrogant? It's deceptive. Like, for example, in our denomination, we need to hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith, also the, the, the Reformed Presbyterian testimony. Now, in a lot of denominations, that gets watered down to such a degree that it's kind of like, do you agree with the Westminster Standard? Yeah, kind of. How is that working out for church unity? We need to be precise. We need to be clear. We need to know, I'm talking to people who are reformed or at least think that re reform means anything or matters anymore. What sola scriptura means. What is wrong with the charismatic movement? The errors and dangers it brings in. And you don't have to have read all the books on Bill Johnson to know all about that. But you do need to know your theology. You do need to know your, your, 
the scriptures. You do need to know that the canon is closed. You do need to know why we're not to expect any further revelation or any further writing of scriptures. You do need to know these things in order to at least to be in the pulpit. And look, you don't feel called to preach. You should still know these things to lead your family, if you're a father, mother, whatever the case may be, to teach your children. There was some of that in me. I'm just telling you that I'm going to fix some of these things. I'm going to correct some of this, you know, uh, poor thinking. And then when I got there, I was just so humbled going, just like I was with Hayford, going, this guy knows the word of God better than I do. So what? So we have disagreements. Okay, I'll just let you guys know, even in our last two Zoom calls, I've heard something come out of each of your mouths that I disagree with. I think you're wrong, <laughs> you know. But now I have the wisdom to go, well, what makes me right? Am I sure I'm more intelligent than these? Basically, Chan is a teacher without doctrine, and that's why he's popular. He is a teacher without doctrine, and he's like, you know, I disagree with you, but it's doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Why, why would it matter? Hmm. Men or wiser than these men? Or is it, you know, because I've studied the scriptures, I know it's not all about intellect, but it's about God's spirit of truth revealing these things. So then am I right because the spirit is closer to me and I'm more in tune with the Holy Spirit than you guys? Or then I think, no, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, it's because I'm more humble than these guys that I know more than them, or I have the right interpretation, and God pours his grace out on me. No. Or you could be claiming, I'm so humble that I've just embraced all these people, and look at me. Ah, I, I hate the word virtue signaling, but he's virtue signaling here. It's the best way I can describe it. He's virtue signaling. Look at me. I have realized I wasn't really humble before. Look at me. I'm humble now. I've okay. <clears throat> Teach. Teach the word. In season, out of season, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. I cannot believe this guy was popular all over the place. Why? Because this kind of thinking is uncommittal, doctrinal looseness is popular. Or you don't really have to hold to anything. Now, I'm not talking about me general members of the congregation and people who are just new members and stuff like that, and maybe different stages in a walk. They don't have. But certainly people in in eldership. And we should strive to get people to as much as possible within the congregation to hold to the Westminster standards if you are in each. You know, I'm presuming people are, if people are listening and they're of that con conviction or whatever your statement of faith is, that you would teach your people so that we are all of the one mind. Greater unity. That's what we want. We want greater unity. But it's not in this kind of mystical kumbaya. 
where we all just get together and theology doesn't matter. You're fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. If anybody criticizes you, therefore they're wrong because they're so arrogant. How, how can you possibly know? Seriously, it just, he just sounds like a new ager. It just sounds like postmodern. Well, how can I know truth? How can I be certain? How can I? Uh, the word of God says it. Bill Johnson, if you can dig it out here. Um, has a faulty view of the deity of Christ. Let's see if I can. So he's more egregious errors. L I don't have the exact quote I was looking for here, but listen to what he says here in God is Good on page 136. Jesus stilled every life-threatening storm that he encountered. We never see him using his authority to increase the impact of a storm or bring calamity of any kind. Never once did the command the storm to destroy a city so that its citizens would become more humble in order to pray, thus becoming more like him. Today, many of our spiritual leaders announce that God why God sent the storm to break the pride and sinfulness of our region. Obviously, God can use any tragedy. No, so he says use any tragedy. Purposes that, but that doesn't mean that the problem was his design. Jesus didn't heal with storms in that way. Regardless of how or why the storm came about, Jesus was the solution. So it didn't come from God. According to... Bill Johnson. He says at the end of this page, skipping ahead a little bit, the implications of the powers of darkness were involved in the storm and they need to be dealt with because they violated the heart and purpose of God on the earth. And if the devil is involved in a storm, we don't want to be found saying the storm is the will of the Father. So, um, yeah, I, If you don't believe that God is sovereign over everything, you don't believe God is God, you have an idol. God is. Jesus says, ego me, when he was on the earth. I am. Nothing exists apart from his will. He's decreed will. He's decreed whatever comes to pass. If you see evil, I mean, you see these guys, why aren't they going out healing everything? They don't believe in a sovereign God. And, they, and it just sounds more and more like Francis Chan is just kind of going with the excuse. Well, how could I know? How? I don't want to say I know because that would be arrogant. That's not Christianity. That's not even Christianity. There are central truths to the Christian faith. After meeting you, 
and Mike seeing your humility and me thinking, could I have pulled that off? Could I keep my mouth shut and not defend Francis Chan? Because I love Francis so much. No, the way you love Jesus and said, I just want his name lifted up. That humility, knowing your prayer life already of how much time you spend with him. And you saw when you preached about the love of Christ and I was supposed to preach after you, I tore my shirt literally and just said, I am not speaking after that. I'm getting on my knees and repenting. And so when I see your study of the word, your commitment to prayer and the humility in your life. Okay, I keep pressing the wrong buttons here. Okay, so I finally found some of the quotes I'm looking for. Page 168 to 170. Not going to read all of it. From God is Good, his last book. And this is found in a lot of his books. But um, he says this on page 169. Let's face it, if Jesus did all his miracles as God, I'm still impressed. This is Bill Johnson, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. He says in page 169, he goes on to say, but that is an impossible example for me to follow. I am simply an observer and I'm very happy if that's what his purpose is for my life. I have no problem celebrating the amazing things only God can do. But from the beginning, it has been God who continually sets the stage to partner with imperfect people in collaborating or co-laboring, sorry, co-laboring relationships. What I see that he did, what he did as a man following his father, then I am compelled to do what I ever need to do to follow that example. I am no longer content to live as I am. I will still celebrate his goodness, but now it will be from the very trenches that Jesus lived in. He says this in page 169 of God is Good. Bill Johnson, there are two conditions put upon me in Jesus' example. These qualifications are essential for me to emulate the life and presence and power that Jesus made evident. First is that Jesus had no sin. Now, remember he's saying he wants to emulate that in order to do miracles. He has to be sinless. Chris Volatin's teaching in this area. He says, without Jesus, I am hopelessly lost in sin, but I am no longer without him and never will be again. The, lo this lo the lost condition is no longer a factor, nor is it my identity. Now I am found in Christ without sin because his blood may be claimed because of such overwhelming mercy and grace. I have met the first qualification. I'm not completely clear if he believes the same thing Chris Volatin does. I try to give the benefit of doubt. Maybe I shouldn't. It sounds a lot like Chris Volatin's heresy of sinless perfectionism. The second condition, Bill writes, is that Jesus was entirely empowered by the Holy Spirit. As a man, he was powerless, but the, the, the Spirit of God came upon him in his water baptism. was right after that experience, page 170 now, that we see him walking in power. When Jesus wanted his disciples to live in the same power, he did. He, he had them wait in Jerusalem so that they might receive what was promised and the same overpowering of the Holy Spirit he received, now to be released upon them all. Next paragraph. Je Jesus' life was an illustration 
of what one man could do who had no sin and was entirely empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who was entirely God, modeled life with the limitations of man. So he didn't do the miracles. According to Bill Johnson, he didn't do the miracles as God. This is just what any man could do if he's sinless and completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. But he does it purely as a man. Yeah, I've got some problems with that. Um, because he's basically saying, you, can, you, if you're completely empowered with no sin and everything, you can do exactly what Jesus did. So why are they cooped up in lockdown? Why aren't they getting out there into ICU wards and hailing some people? I don't think they believe what they're selling. At the end of page 170, if I were to define my life in extremely simple terms, Bill Johnson writes, it would be this. I cry out to God for increasing breakthrough in private and that I they learn to take risks in public, takes about risks and... Um, and also, it's kind of a wor law of attraction. Speaking it, it will happen. There's the same power in creating that. If someone as a teacher can't see the problems, major problems in that book, I'd be deeply concerned. I mean, Michael L. Brown, Michael Brown, who's the charismatic Michael Brown with you know, um, the Line of Fire radio program. I always try to distinguish because there's another Michael Brown who's a minister in Italy. who's a very good minister, by the way. Um, he apparently read it, interviewed Bill Johnson after, around the time the book came out, and I'm hoping for Michael Brown to say he never actually did read it because the book is terrible. And now, Michael Brown, the best thing you can say about Michael Brown, Michael Brown, and Francis Chan here, no discernment, zero, nothing, nada. There might be a few cultural issues here and there that get all passionate about. This is the danger, I think, sometimes when people get all passionate about certain cultural issues, everything else is in the background. God is not in control in Bill Johnson's theology. And any prayer that he does is so that he can be more powerful over his universe. That's basically it. And again, because he's in lockdown in a darkened room, it doesn't seem to be working out too well for him. And the character, the sacrifice I hear from all of your staff, it makes a guy like me go, well, then why would I think I'm right? I, I, I almost feel safer going with whatever Mike believes. Um, and, and so, Bill, everything you shared. That's dangerous. I just feel safer going with, I don't know, what do I know? I'm just going to go safer with what Mike, Mike believes. That sounds a little Roman Catholic. Uh, but. Just. 
ah, I just want to apologize, even though I don't think I slammed you directly. (laughs) I know I did, Mike. But uh, I just, I still feel like it makes me sick. Um, Some of the things that I've said, and I really believe, I, I was even praying this after God, please help me feel how displeased you were with that. I don't want this to be like, oh, isn't Francis humble? He just told them how he screwed up. No, I'm going, God, I hurt you. I hurt the body by that. And I want to feel it. Not to not to condemn myself or anything like that, but I just don't want this to be like, oh, what a beautiful thing. He recognized his wrong. No, I want people to understand that was damaging to the body of Christ. And I thank God for men like you, that the Holy Spirit has clearly given you a grace to take that with a humility and love and accept people like me in spite of what I've done. And I just want to tell you guys, I love you. I'll fix your theology later. For now, (laughs) just know I really do love you guys, and I'm thrilled to be on your team. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you too. Asher, would you make the comment that you made a week or two ago when we he talked like this? Um, so there you go. He's on their team. It won't be long before he is teaching NAR stuff. Even even going by his own what he's saying. And um But again, look, go back go back two thousand after the time two thousand and twelve. Passion two thousand and twelve. I remember Francis Chan, John Piper. Yeah, popular guy, don't know why. Um, and a number of other people. And Passion is very much charismatic, huge, sensory kind of, they did dim the lights different years, and it's a bizarre thing. They did a thing called, I think it was called Lectio Divina, where they kind of read the scriptures, and then they put out their hands, and they were like waiting for a word. And this kind of mystical stuff is okay, I guess. I scratch my head. I don't... We don't seem to think that that matters anymore. Maybe it's because... I don't know, pick pick an issue off the top of my head. Maybe it's the fact that Wayne Grudem and... Who's also continuationist. um, And John Piper wrote that book on it's seen as the big thing on on complementarianism back so in the 70s and there seems to be all the culture war issues pick three things mar- mar- or two things really marriage and abortion and anything around that and as long as you're doing something on that people don't seem to care about anything else it's a dangerous place to be. We need to teach all of the word of God. 
was having a conversation with a friend the other day on just emailing back and forth. A lot of the evil things, you know, that happened in the culture war were happening in the Roman Empire when Paul was writing his epistles. But Paul still focused on the entire law of God, and that's what ministers of the gospel need to do. Hopefully that's been somewhat some help. <sighs> that might be, hopefully will be the last, I, I got a feeling that's not going to be the last program. Please understand there's a lot more programs I could have done in Francis Chan. And I do programs on Francis Chan because I think he's symptomatic of where many within Orthodox churches, including ministers, are going. Truly. Is he more an extreme case of it? Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I would be concerned if somebody can read through his book, Letters to the Churches, and not have multiple red flags. Because we don't see the danger of a lot of these things. And it's like, wow, he's now embraced Mike Bickle. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to criticize anything. I have met people in Reformed churches. And they don't even like anything negative been said about Roman Catholicism. They get nervous. I'm not saying we should be nasty, we should love them, lead them to Christ, etc. But Roman Catholicism is a harlot. We need to call out false teaching but at the same time let's not be reactionary let's not be because the church is going in a certain direction become nasty unfeeling unkind and going to the opposite direction where we're mr orthodox and hey have you seen all my books i've read them all. You know, don't go to the opposite extreme is what i'm saying I am so uber, I've, I'm so orthodox, I've got a long beard or something, you know what I mean? It's, you know, I'm sorry, but that, that, that kind of stuff is not helpful either. In response to this, we need biblical humility modeled in our own lives. We might have massive problems in our own spiritual walk, be able to point out all these dangerous charismas. This this is only a small part. But if you can't see this, it's a massive problem. And we should be in the Word of God. Look, if we love the Word of God, if we're satisfied in the Word of God, if we're our, our, our thirst is quenched by the Word of God, this stuff isn't going to be as, as interesting. But when we when our thirst isn't quenched by the word of God, by reading about it, by meditating upon it, by praying over it, 
then we're going to start thinking, what more could there be? I can't know. Who am I? I'm just... And you think, I don't, I don't want to put God in the box. And I don't want to hold myself back from all the things. And if you, if you drink from the fountains of living water, meditating upon the word, seeing the importance of the scriptures, those were written. Holy men speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I tell you, guys, this stuff will not be nearly as enticing. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.